0: Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. I should warn you right now, this is one of those conversations that will give you goosebumps.
1: We had the privilege of talking to Pastor Paul Teske, who was a U.S. Navy chaplain for 20 years before retiring as a Lutheran minister a few years ago. You guys, this man's life changed on May 7th, 2004, when he suffered a stroke on stage while speaking to a few hundred people.
0: Then wait until you hear what happened after that. I'm not sure Pastor Paul believed in miracles or healing back then, but he sure does now. And as you will hear, this conversation ended up going, somewhere I didn't expect it to. I actually tried to change the subject, but Pastor Paul wouldn't let me.
1: You guys, we can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Pastor Paul Teske. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And
0: during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery.
1: Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future.
0: All right, friends, our show producer, Craig Clausen, has been working behind the scenes to get Tell Us a Good Story nominated for a podcast award.
1: That's right, you guys, and this is where we need your help. From February 24th to March 11th, 2022, you can go to the awards link in our show notes to vote for us in three different podcast categories. Your favorite podcast, also known as the People's Choice Award, Best Podcast of 2021, and Host of the Year.
0: Just do me a favor and vote for my favorite podcast host, which is stephanie mason ah,
1: babe. As,
0: as you know my wife is an absolute rock star and i would love to show her that
1: or you can vote for kevin because he's a stud you guys no no, no,
0: no. please <laughs> go with stephanie mason <laughs> our producer has also made a link at kevinandsteph.com backslash vote that will take you directly to the quill podcast awards website you can only vote one time so don't try to do this every single day
1: kevin what do exactly do we win
0: probably an applebee's gift card
1: oh i love that <laughs> you guys thank you for listening to tell us a good story
0: Steph, are you ready for this next conversation?
1: I think this is going to be so powerful, Kevin. A hundred
0: percent. I've talked to him two or three times now on the phone. I've told you about this. And I've been so excited for you to finally get to talk to him as well. Yep. So friends, our next guest served 20 years in the U.S. Navy as a commander and Navy chaplain. He then went on to serve as senior pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Westport, Connecticut. And this man has some incredible stories to share, not only from his time in the Navy, but also the miraculous healings he's experienced firsthand in the ministry and in his own personal life. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Pastor Paul Teske.
1: Oh, Pastor, welcome.
0: You honor me. Well, thank you, sir, for saying yes to us. Well, and
1: thank you, sir, for serving our country. Uh Yes. I mean, so thankful for that. So we appreciate that.
2: Well, thank you. Were you stationed in Ohio at one point? Uh, No, I I had a church in Ohio initially. The first congregation I had was just outside of Youngstown, Ohio. But then I went from there in the Navy for 12 years active duty. So we went to a Navy hospital in Philadelphia, I went to a guided missile cruiser in Japan. We lived there for three years. My wife was there with her family. My ship was going in and out of port. we uh, I think I told you we were underway 22 months out of 30. And then oh. from there, went to San Francisco. I was a recruiter for the Navy chaplaincy for three years, worked for the chief of chaplains. And then from there, I went to the, the Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut, where I served for three and a half years. Left the Navy there to take this church in Connecticut, thinking I was going to be in Connecticut four or five years and head back to Texas we were both from texas so anyway we ended up being in connecticut for 30 years of that church so it was a (laughs) great ride and there's a lot of history there but but anyway that's kind of the the long story made short so
1: okay i have a question he just threw a lot at us right there a lot at us okay (laughs) you said you were on a ship 22 out of 30 months right was that hard like being on like a contained ship oh like yes you can kind of stretch your legs but I mean, psychologically, is that hard?
2: Sure, it's hard, yeah. I had a wife and two children, and a third one was born in Japan. But uh, my ship was, when I said underway, we were at sea for 22 months out of 30, all right? And (sighs) so during that time, the longest time I was at sea was six months. The longest time I was at sea without putting my feet on the ground was four months. Oh. Think about that. Now, there's 400 men on this ship. There are no women back then on on that guided missile cruiser. But the ships seemed all over from Japan, Korea, Philippines. We spent three months up in the Persian Gulf back in 1981, Hong Kong. We were in a lot of ports. And on occasion, my wife could fly to the port, meet me. She met me in Singapore, met me in Hong Kong, met me in the Philippines. You know, she'd bring one or two of the kids with her. And then ultimately, after our third was born, I was too young. She couldn't travel with her. But it was a great culture, uh, a great experience, I think, that really set us up later on for what God was going to use us for in our life. But back then, the Navy was probably 80% was under the age of 28. And many of them were single. So you're dealing with a lot of young guys, uh, you know, trying to help shake their lives. It was hard. Harder my wife than me, believe me. In fact, if she were here, she'd probably uh, tell you just how extremely difficult it was. (laughs) She'd have a different story.
0: (laughs) But to your point, what an opportunity to mentor young men, right? You're married, you have kids, you've been through some things, and you're mentoring these young men who are still single, haven't had maybe the life experience. But what is life
2: like living on a ship then for four straight months? Well, the ships are, you know, our ship was 600 feet long, 60 feet wide. It it had a hundred missiles on it, entire missiles. We had some surface-to-surface missiles and so on. But Yeah, the ships are larger than you think they are. They're larger than submarines. Now, that's another world, contained world, living in submarines. But our ship, we didn't have portholes, but we had deck. We could go outside on good weather and so on. But think about it. For four months, not putting your feet on land, you know, 24-7, that's a long time. And so what, what the Navy does, they keep their people busy. You're, so you're working eight, 12-hour shifts, 24-7. So you're really occupied. You've got to maintain your equipment, whatever it may be. And you've also got to uh, take care of your personal stuff. But, it's, but they try to keep you in a routine where you're busy all the time. Because time just kind of stopped if you weren't busy. You know, back then, you got to remember, there was no Wi-Fi. There were no cell phones. Everything was by letter. One, I'll give you an example. My wife wrote me a letter four weeks later. I get it in Diego Garcia in the Indian Ocean, telling me my five-year-old daughter had broke her arm. You know, she'd <gasps> fallen out of a swing. So I write back and I said, "Well, how's she doing? How's the arm?" And it's an eight-week turnaround. So my wife writes me back and says, "Wow, by the time I got your letter, the, the cast was already off of her arm." So you know, you don't have that immediate contact now uh, with your right. family. That was probably the hardest thing. Today, people have cell phones, Wi-Fi. It's a whole different world. But I was in the Navy from 76 to 96. So that was a different era of of communications. And that was hard. It was a hard thing.
0: Can you share the story that you briefly (laughs) mentioned to me on the phone? And it was about you saving someone out at sea.
2: Oh, yeah. Can you
0: share share that story with Steph? Yeah.
2: Yeah, So we were on our way, our ship from uh, Singapore to uh, the Persian Gulf. We were going to be up there three months. And so as we're going through the South China Sea, we run across a 40-foot boat with, it turns out, 79 people on it. And they were Vietnamese boat people. They were trying to escape Vietnam, communism. This was 1981. You know, Vietnam had fallen in 75. So this was like six years later. And so mainly men on there, some women. But we saw this ship. They had no power. And so we had to send a crew over to see if they were stable and they were taken on water. And at that point, our captain had to make a decision, either take them on the ship and then we own them or leave them out there. And we thought, you know, you leave them out there, they're gonna die. So we, we took them on the ship. Now we had to take them to Thailand to a place called Patia Beach, where we could eventually hand them over to the UN camp there for refugees. But here's the thing, when we took them on board, we guaranteed all of them safe passage. And those that weren't communists, we let go to any country they wanted to go to, they would take them. And if they were communists, they had to go to an independent country like Sweden you know, which would take them. So that's what we did. We took them on board. We had them on the back of our ships. Uh, I was in charge of these refugees on the ship as the chaplain. So I went with them to the UN camp. In fact, they wouldn't go to the UN camp initially because they were afraid of the Thai because the Thai pirates would take, uh, raid these ships, kill the people, rob them.
1: So they were fearful
2: of the Thai in general. So we got them into the UN camp and we left. All right. Now, here's the amazing thing. That was in 1981, 40 years ago. Well, two years ago, as I told you, I started a social media ministry from scratch in January of 2020. And this past year, I reached 2 million people through Facebook and Instagram and uh, YouTube. Well, lo and behold, this year, I get an email from this young 16-year-old guy that we rescued at the time. Now he's 40 years later. He sees me on Facebook and tracks me down and so sends me a bunch of pictures. So 40 years later, I see this 56-year-old guy who we rescued. And he said, look, if you guys hadn't pulled us out of the ocean, we'd all be dead today. He said, you, your ship saved our life. Not only was it personally gratifying, but he also opened up a door for me and Facebook. And so Vietnam right now is one of my largest growing communities in my social media ministry. But that was kind of, a deal, you know, 40 years later, we rescued these 79 guys, men and women on the ship. And then all of a sudden, 40 years later, you hear from one of I them and just kind of, you know, warms your heart to and he put me in touch with a number of other people that were rescued too in uh, nineteen eighty one. So, wow, oh, that's
1: special. <laughs> you had to have made a huge impact. For like, him. yes, you yes. saved him, but for him to remember your name and
0: what he just looked like—yes,
1: yes, that's incredible.
0: So, Steph, we just moved into a new home. You know who's good at homes?
1: I do, Jay Luby. And Miss Connie Luby.
0: Yes. They build custom homes. They do remodeling. They do office construction. Steph, if you go to lubycompanies.com, they have a picture by picture here on the portfolio. And everyone is absolutely amazing.
1: I want every one of them. <laughs> I want that one or that one. Oh, maybe that one.
0: The Gorgeous. only problem about lubycompanies.com, it's hard to spell.
1: Uh, there's no way. I could spell their last name unless you would have told me. I
0: guarantee they get asked every day, how do you spell that? So friends, it's l-u-e-b-b-e-companies.com. Go to that website, phenomenal pictures of what they do. From new construction to like new renovations, the Luby Companies are here to partner with you. They are also a proud sponsor of...
1: Tell us a good story.
0: So Pastor Paul has three grown children now, and three, as he would say, extraordinary grandchildren.
1: <laughs> of course. Yeah.
2: Well, I've got four now. My youngest daughter just had her first little daughter. So oh, got
1: four now. congratulations. Yeah.
0: That's fantastic. He's been married to his lovely wife, Rivers, since 1976. And then like Pastor Paul just said, he's served over 30 years as a parish pastor, 20 years as a U.S. Navy chaplain. And Pastor, I want you to share this story. And you gave me just a brief summary of this. Can you share with Steph... What happened to you on May seventh, two thousand
2: and four? Absolutely. So I was part of a group of businessmen called the New Canaan Society. And every Friday morning at seven thirty we'd meet with two hundred guys, and we'd usually brought in a business guy to talk. And so I was on the board. Our chairman of the of the group said, "Look, the speaker's not going to be here tomorrow. We always use business guys to come up, talk, tell their story about their faith and so on. So he said, "Tesky, could you give the uh, talk?" I said, "Sure." So, Eric introduces me and that morning I start and about three or four minutes into my talk, I couldn't shift my weight. My left leg was just gone. And I'm thinking, well, this is really surreal that I have a pinched over my back or just, what's going on here. You know, my leg fall asleep. I mean, I literally could not shift my weight from right to left. And so, you know, I keep talking to these guys. I have no pain. I have no seizures or nothing. I just keep talking and I'm thinking, what's going on here? You know, is this going to go away? And at some point, I, I experienced what I would call a panic attack. I'd never had a panic attack, but I just got overwhelmed and and fell down. And actually there were five doctors in the audience that day, and they all come up. They call the EMTs, take me to the hospital. I'm in the ER. The doctor says, Well, it wasn't a blood clot because you don't have these clotting symptoms of paralysis on your left side. And he said, I don't think you had an artery break in your brain because you would have had seizures and, and blinding pain. that would have I made mean, you would have passed out. So it wasn't a cerebral hemorrhage. So he said, let's do a CAT scan real quick. I said, all right. Now I'm thinking maybe I got a brain tumor. You know? So he takes me out, comes back, and he said, no, you had a cerebral hemorrhage. You had an artery break deep in your right side of your brain, and it's left you paralyzed on the lo- your left side. He said, we'll do an MRI tomorrow, and we'll try to find out what this was, an, an aneurysm or malformation of arteries or something. How old were you at the time? I was 57. Okay. Yeah, young guy. You know, I, was, you know, I was 57. Yeah. I was perfectly healthy. I thought.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Anyway, so that night I'm in the ICU and I've got a nose, you know, oxygen thing in my nose and an IV. And that's it. I had full faculties. I'm talking to my wife. She's got to leave. But the doctor comes in and says, listen, Reverend, if this thing bleeds out tonight, there's nothing we can do. Now, I knew what he meant. I was going to go into a coma and I was going to be brain dead. And I was going to die. So he leaves. And I told Rivers, my wife, and she had been alongside me in hospitals, you know, during that hospital tour and seen people go through, into this process, slide into a coma, you know, and they have to take them off the resuscitator and they're dead. So I said, look, if, if I do this tonight, I wanted to give her permission to live her life because, you know, we got three kids. I didn't want her handcuffed to the grave because I'd seen too many people in my ministry who would lose a spouse and couldn't move on with their life. And I just wanted to give her that permission to live her life if something happened to me. I said, let me go. I'm going to heaven. If there's no heaven, I'm in the wrong business. And let me go, all right? And have the church throw an Easter party, all right? So she leaves. Now, that night, I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, you know, this may be the last time I go to sleep. And that was a very sobering moment. And I tell you what, I went through a, a litany of inventory about my life, my sins. I confess sins I probably didn't even commit because I didn't <laughs> uh, you want know, face, you know, if I didn't wake up, great, I'm I, So people said, well, when did you fall asleep? I said, I have no idea. But I knew exactly when I woke up. I was elated. I was alive. I was still paralyzed, but I was alive. All right. So while I'm in the hospital, it's a longer story, but God told me that he was going to heal me in 21 days through a Bible verse. And and it just absolutely convinced me he was going to heal me in 21 days. I told my wife, I told my church board, they all thought I had more brain damage than, you know, (laughs) the doctors were letting on. But I just knew with absolute certainty he was going to heal me. So... I get out of the hospital and my wife drives me down to Baltimore to a healing service with 15,000 people. And the man that was doing the healing service, a woman in my church had been to, she had metastasized breast cancer in August of 03. That was like eight months earlier. She had gone to a meeting that this man had in Madison Square Garden was completely healed instantly. All the cancer gone. And so when I saw him in Baltimore, I said to my wife, if, if I get out of the hospital, take me there. So I do get out. We go there. We go Thursday night. Nothing happens. 21 days is on the 28th. That's Friday night. So that Friday night we go back. I've got a walker, a brace of my leg, and they take us from the back door of this auditorium with 15,000 people. And they sit us right in the front row in the in front of the podium. And I said to the lady, I said, I think you got the wrong person. I'm a Lutheran minister. And she said, hey, you know, the Lord said to put you here, mm-hmm. but I'm going to take your walker. And I said, if you take my walker, I can't I can't stand up. She said, well, you can't be on the front row with the walker. So she took it. Now I'm stuck, right? So anyway, the service is four hours long. There's worship. There's, a, there's teaching, an altar call, an offering, then more worship. And during the second set of worship, I'm standing there on the front row with my wife. And all of a sudden, my body starts to shake like a jackhammer. I'm just, I mean, i just... She said, what's going on? I said, I don't know. Maybe God's healing me. So at this point, I I just want to get out of there and find out because the only way I'm going to know is that I can walk is to walk, but I'm on the front row and I didn't want to take a step and fall down. You know, I'm kind of, I'm really conflicted. So in the midst of all this, the guy with the healing ministry looks out at the audience on the front row and tells my wife and I to quickly come up onto the platform. Now I've got all this on video. It's in fact it's on my YouTube site, Paul Teskey Ministries, YouTube page. So my wife takes off, <laughs> and I'm standing there thinking, I'm either going to be like Peter, I'm going to sink, or <laughs> I'm either going to follow my faith, <laughs> or I'm going to walk, yep. right? I start walking across the floor, I knew I, I knew I was okay. And I walk up these stairs, I knew I was okay. So the minister says, who are you? I'm a Lutheran minister. He said, do Lutherans believe in healing? That's why I came here tonight with a brace on my leg. I'm completely healed. And I was. I was completely healed. I was playing golf the next week. I had eight doctors in Connecticut tell me I'd never walk again. I was going to be a cripple the rest of my life. I was instantly healed in worship. So he says, Well, the reason I called you up here is that God said to get that He's going to give you and your wife a healing ministry. Do you have a church? Yeah. Okay. Well, people will be healed this Sunday in your church, and thousands will come to your church for healing. So I'm healed. I go back to Connecticut that Sunday, I'm not scheduled to preach, but a woman's healed, a baby's healed of leukemia. When that happened, I realized the rest of this was going to come true. So what happened was we had over 40,000 people come to our church on Wednesday nights from all over the world over 15 years for healing. Brain tumors, blind Presbyterians, everything. And my wife and I had a global healing ministry that took us to 70 countries on six continents. We were traveling 125 days a year all over the world. Doing healing, deliverance, ministry, crusades, and just a ton of things. So finally, I was kept coming back to a church in Connecticut where I had a staff of twenty-nine and two boards. And I said, "Guys, I can't keep doing the traveling and managing. You know this ministry." So I stepped down from that four years ago and moved out to Texas. So I've been healed completely and thoroughly since May twenty-eighth, oh four. That was just you know, look God's plan. You, you and I could not write the script for our lives no. according to what God wants us to do. I'm sure you didn't. You probably never thought you'd be doing what you're doing right now, right?
0: No. no. So God
2: no. gives you the script, and you play it out. And, and he uses it to bless people everywhere. So that's kind of the long story made short. But oh, oh, By the way, my church saw me paralyzed. They saw me healed. They realized that we had this healing ministry. And, and so they just completely endorsed me traveling all over the world. 120 days a year away from the church is a long time. 25 oh. trips a year. And I'm going, to, I mean, I've been to every Lutheran country on the planet. I've been to India, China. I've been all over. There's not a continent I haven't been to. Steph, is it just me?
0: Do you have goosebumps?
1: Covered in goosebumps. Exactly. I, keep, I keep rubbing my <laughs> arms the more he kept talking. Oh my gosh. Okay. In your healing ministry, can you tell some of your miraculous healings that you witnessed?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll give you the most recent one. There was a girl in California that in her 20s, She wakes up bleeding. She was having internal bleeding from a ruptured cyst on her ovary. She tries to go down the stairs and she passes out. Her father calls me and says, hey, will you pray for my daughter? Now, we know the guy, we know his daughter, so we pray. And so that was four weeks ago. So what happened was the doctor says, okay, you've got one unruptured cyst. You got one that was partially ruptured. We're going to have to go in and take them out because they're, they're dangerous. So she goes in for the exam before the surgery and there's no cysts there. They're completely gone. All right. And so the dad, I was just with him yesterday. He was in Dallas and he said, hey, I want to thank you. And I said, don't thank me, thank Jesus. I didn't do anything but pray, right? But backing up about three, almost four years ago, when we moved to Dallas, we get a call from a friend of ours here. And he says, look, Mike, my friend's first grandbaby was born 22 weeks, two pounds, all the small intestines outside the stomach. And so they they amputated the small intestines off. That She was left with about five inches of uh, small intestines. They sutured to the colon. Now think about it. She's two pounds, 22 weeks. Just a oh. little, you know, you hold her in small. your hand. Right? Yeah. So um, he says, uh, and the prognosis isn't good. So I said, okay, who's this person? So I called the grandmother, first grandbaby. I said, and she said, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you pray. Rivers and I go over about 10 o'clock at night to Fort Worth. And we go, and the, and, the, and the young father, the firstborn and mother there, and we meet him, we're talking to him. I go in with the dad and pray over the little baby. My rivers goes in with the mother, prays over the baby. Guess what? She grows six more inches of small intestine. <laughs> now, what's significant? Before I left the hospital, I said to the, to the nurse, what's the prognosis? She said, it's not good because there's not enough small intestine uh, to take the nutrients in the body that we're giving her intravenously, and so she's not going to make it. So what happens, she grows six more inches of small intestine. Now she's got almost a foot, which was enough to sustain her. And now she's four years old in April. She's healthy. Everything's fine. But let me tell you what that is. That's what we call a creative miracle. If you go a kidney or a lung or a little pinky, you know, that doesn't happen apart from God's creative hand on it. Now, I can give you a blind Presbyterian in Greenwich, Connecticut named Paige Stetson. She's written up in Charisma Magazine in uh, November of 2009. Let me tell you the story. This woman's walking in New York. She's a psychotherapist and an artery breaks in her eye, floods it out. She loses her sight, comes back, goes to the ER in New York. She's in New York City, comes to, back to Connecticut, goes to the doctor. He says, OK, we well, had a, a blood vessel rupture and um, we'll probably have to operate in three or four weeks to try to clean the, the eye out and see if there's damage to the retina and restore it. Now, this young woman, she's young, relatively young. She's petrified, you know. She's going to lose her eyesight. The Lord told her that if she's in the same room with this African pastor and Paul Teske, she would be healed. She had no clue who Paul Teske was. So she asked around, and some people in her church in Greenwich knew me. For, I was up in Westport, about 20 miles away. And so she calls my secretary because that Sunday night, there was a guy from Africa speaking in the church And she asked my secretary, is Pastor Tessie going to be in our church this Sunday night to hear this guy speak? And she said, I doubt it. He never goes to the world Sunday afternoon. He's got two (laughs) services on Sunday night. He just typically doesn't do it. So she came and asked me, she said, hey, are you going to just, didn't mention this lady, but said, are you going to go down and listen to this guy speak? And I said, absolutely not. So that night or that afternoon, I'm at home. And I, don't, I was thinking, maybe I should just go down here to this guy. Now, I've been to Africa a few times. I'm just going to go down and check him out. So I went down there, and I'm sitting in the back row. Now, unbeknownst to me, this woman who didn't know me is sitting two people over from on the back <laughs> row. So as I leave, I'm out of there at the end of the talk. I'm not sticking around. Uh, somebody says, hey, Pastor Teske," and this woman hears them. And she comes out, and she says, are you Pastor Teske?" And I went, well, maybe. What do you want? You know? <laughs> and so I said, no, I, I am, yes. And she tells me the story. And I said, okay, all right, I'll pray for it. Now, I did not know that she was an elder in this church, the Presbyterian Church of Old Greenwich. Okay. So I said, okay, let's pray. So I prayed for her. And then I said, can you see? And she said, no, I'm all right. Let's pray again. Because I remember Jesus prayed for God twice. First time, they collect trees. Second time, he, his eyes were open. Now, I didn't know that she's an elder in the church. So as I'm talking to her, more and more people are coming around. So now there's about 20 people standing around us in the entrance to this church. And, you know, I'm kind of oblivious to stuff like this, but it's just a reality. And people are coming to see what's going on. And they knew her situation because she was an elder in the church. So I said, let's pray a second time. So I prayed over and lo and behold, she still couldn't see. (laughs) So all right. And then I get this unction. I call them unctions. You know, the Lord speaks to me. And I don't do this unless I know that I know that I know that it's God. It's just like when I told my wife I want to be healed in 21 days. I just, I, I can't tell you how I knew it. I just absolutely knew it. It was it was just embedded in me. So I looked at this page and I said, Paige, you're not going to have surgery this week. You're going to have 20-20 vision. And you're going to be standing up in this church next Sunday giving your testimony. Hmm. And at that moment, we hear about 20 people go, "Uh," you know, I call it the gas moment. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're all going, what? Well, I left. Well, she goes in to her retina surgeon. Everything's fine. The blood's all gone. No surgery. She's got 20, 20 vision, both eyes, and still does to this day. In fact, her church started to get into the healing ministry. And it created some difficulty for them because, you know, they were being told that that's not within their tradition in the Presbyterian church, you know. But anyway, over a period of some time, they ended up realigning themselves with some other organizations so they could continue to do what they believe God wanted them to do, and that's pray for the sick. And how could you not do it if you saw one of your elders, who, by the way, was in that church that next Sunday telling her story, and that got everybody's attention, right? So I can tell you about trigeminal Neuralgia, Meniere's, Tourette's, incurable diseases that God is complete a dwarf the God is healed and restored completely because that's the God we serve and he's just looking for willing vessels to take a leap of faith lay hands on the sick pray for them and let God be God but if we don't do our little part he doesn't get released to do his big part
0: okay friends let's pause this conversation for just a second because pastor Paul has thrown a lot at us now You're going to hear him pivot this conversation, and he starts going somewhere where I did not expect this to go. At this moment, he starts speaking, and it is as if he is talking directly to me. And I have debated whether to include this piece of it or not, but I'm going to, and you're going to hear me be very vulnerable here, but I'm still going to be transparent, and I'm going to include this part
2: of the conversation in it.
1: And maybe this is for someone else out there as well.
2: Let me, let me also say this When God shows up in power It's going to be disruptive People will be disruptive They, they will go away I, I didn't sign up for this you know. But God doesn't give us a vote Look at Paul on the road to Damascus God showed up, disrupted his life Didn't give him a vote Just changed his life And it cost him something It cost him a lot So when God shows up And I've seen it happen in many lives Individuals and, and corporately You know, it's always going to create disruption and people have to embrace it. You know, but look, when God shows up in your life, he doesn't care about the disruption. What he's looking for, are you going to be an obedient vessel and do what I've called you to do? Paul, there's a Paul in all of us that that he's going to, you know, he's going to call out. You know what I like about Peter? Peter's name was what? Simon. But Jesus saw somebody in Simon that Simon couldn't see. It was Peter the Rock. And he said, you know what? I'm going to call that guy out. I'm going to identify him because that who he really is. And I think that when God looks at all of us and he's looking at somebody inside of us that we many times never see. And he will extract that person for his glory, honor, and good. And look, it's not easy. It's always difficult, but his grace is always sufficient. And this may be too much information for you, but I'm just you know, unloading here.
1: Nope. Thank you. You're hitting the nail on the head, Pastor. <clears throat> <laughs>
0: Yeah, you're speaking to me, Pastor.
2: So, how am I speaking to you?
0: When you talk about how God shows up, and and you don't have a vote in regards yeah. to God can change your path. God can use something that He's put inside of you that I didn't even know existed. For example, <laughs> I'm a CPA. I'm a finance guy. That has been my identity. That has been what I thought was my calling for the past 20 years, and then. All of a sudden, things change. And God has used our hurt, our catastrophic life experiences, and turned it into something good, something I never imagined possible. I mean, CPAs are not known for having a big personality. So, it makes no sense that God would use a CPA, somebody who's not in a journalistic background, a radio-type background, and turn it into something like this today. And so when you're talking about how God's going to use something that you didn't even know was inside of you, it's hitting home with me right now. Well, it's good. So
2: look, you know, no, look, it's the obedience, you know, too often. We want to, we want to be partially obedient or delay the obedience. But as soon as we make that step, it, it just breaks open. And, you know, you can't call yourself. Only God can call you, but you can't assign yourself either. Only God can assign you. So he may call you, but when he when you accept that call, then he's going to have a very, very unique and special assignment. And when you're in that moment, everything happens. If you're in the wrong assignment, nothing happens. So I think you measure success in ministry based on knowing you're in the right assignment at the right time called by God, because he gets all the going on and praise anyway. He won't share it with any man, Right. What's important is that you're obedient to God, doing your small part, and let God use you to his glory, honor, and praise. Great things will happen. You know, you and I can do so much in our own strength, but how much more can we do in the strength of God?
0: <laughs> right.
2: We can move mountains. You know, when I talked about that girl whose sis disappeared, prayer moves mountains. All we did was pray. God moved the mountain. God took away the sis. God opened the blind eye. You know, God grew that and small intestine in that baby. All we do is a little part, and God does the big part. You know, Moses raised the stick. God parted the waters. I think what God's looking for today are people to raise the stick. Who's going to raise the stick? I'll part the water. Just raise the stick. Well, what if nobody's healed? Just raise the stick. <laughs> I'm going to look bad. Raise the stick. He doesn't care about that stuff. Just be obedient. So you're being obedient what you're doing right now, and you can see how God's blessing it. Yeah, how he's got his hands up. You guys are doing the right thing in the right time for what needs to be done for this world that needs to hear the truth. Oh, well,
0: I need to go blow my nose. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <Pastor Paul.
2: laughs> so, Steph, what do you think?
1: I think you are hitting the nail on the head. I think none of this makes sense. But as long as you say yes, God will bless that. He'll Amen. honor that. So we just honestly just keep saying yes and just wait for God to show up. And he keeps showing up. So it also shows its confirmation for us, which is nice.
2: I think that God wants to bless us and restore us and use us. And I think when I look at you two, I see exactly that in you. You know, God's using you now. And you're going to touch people beyond your imagination. You'll never know how many you touch, but it's going to be a much larger group than you'll ever know. I, I just sense that my spirit. So
1: Thank you. We okay. received that.
0: Friends, we just want to take a moment here to say thank you to all you loyal listeners. <laughs>
1: just found out that Tell Us A Good Story is now in the top 1.5% of all podcasts worldwide. And that is because of you guys sharing with your family and friends on social media and giving us positive reviews on all the podcast platforms. And
0: if your friends ask, just tell them they can get our entire catalog of episodes at kevinandsteph.com or wherever they like to get their podcasts.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening to Tell Us A Good Story.
0: So when you show up, and you've got a family, and they've got a child who needs an absolute miracle with small intestine, what are you telling the parents, right? Even if they're believers, what are you speaking to them when you go to pray?
2: Just backing up from that, look, every Sunday I preach the gospel. Sometimes I preach nobody's saved. Sometimes I preach people are saved. I don't quit preaching because people don't come to know Jesus. That would be ludicrous, right? So I pray for sick people all the time. Some are healed, some are not. In the midst of that equation, I know three things. God is good. He always knows what he's doing, and I have to trust him. Mm-hmm. So if you're healed and somebody else isn't, I, I, my job is just to pray for him, lay hands on him, and trust God to do what God's going to do, right? And he's going to do it. So for that young couple, we said, look, you want us to pray? Sure, we do. Our, our daughter's given a very bad prognosis here. So they're going to welcome that. Now, I don't know what God's going to do. I, so I prayed for 12-year-olds with cancer that were completely healed. And I've buried 12-year-olds with cancer who weren't here. But let me just stop there for a moment. Look, all of us, when we get to heaven, would not come back to this planet, right? Right. Who would come back to this goofy planet? When I get to heaven, I don't want anybody saying, hey, you're going to come back and give me a (laughs) report? No. No. I get to heaven, I'm done. Now, I've buried six-day-olds, six-week-olds, six-year-olds. That's a fact. And not one of those would come back to this planet. They're in heaven. Now, who's stuck with the grief? They're not. There's no more tears, sorrow, pain in heaven. They're free of that. They've got new bodies. Who's stuck with the pain? We are on this side of the grave. And it's okay. Jesus wept when Lazarus died, right? There's no way to get away from grief for the living. And there's no wrong way to process that grief. You know, We all process it in our own way and take as long as it takes to get over that. That's just the human side. And God knows that because he wired us that way. Jesus wept when Lazarus died, even though Jesus knew he was going to live. Think about it. I tell people all the time, look, never lose sight of that. When people die, they're in heaven. They're free of the pain and the sorrow. One day we're going to be together. But going back to your initial question, look, when I go in and pray, I say, look, I don't make any guarantees other than I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who's by his stripes we're healed and his blood redeems us in the powers in Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to lay hands and anoint you with oil and pray for healing. I tell pastors all the time, do that. You know, they come back and say, what if people aren't healed? I said, look, what if they are healed? (laughs) You won't know until you pray for them. Well, get bold and pray for the sick for healing. Lay hands on them. Let God be God. Maybe the healing will come if you'll just take responsibility and do your little part to be obedient to God, to anoint them with oil, as it says in James 5, lay hands on them and pray for them.
0: Well, I love this about Pastor Paul. In 2017, like he said, he retired, moved to Dallas, Texas. His retirement plan, and this is listed on his website, was to retire from parish ministry and spend his final years with Rivers, his wife, playing golf, traveling. However, God had other plans. Amen. And he's written two books. He's the author of The Father's Blessing, which was released last year in 2021, and Healing for Today, which was released in 2013. So, Pastor Paul, can you tell us a little bit about the Father's Blessing book that you've written?
2: Yeah, my wife, um, her birth father left when she was five, and then her natural father was out of her life and got remarried to a stepfather who was really not affirming and not there, never said, I love you, and that kind of stuff. And so, we were in Toronto at a meeting, and this pastor prays for my wife, and she's able to forgive her earth fathers, and for the first time in her life, say, I could trust the heavenly book. And so what I realized is that, look, the prism for seeing the heavenly father is how we see our earthly father. So if he's not there, if he doesn't affirm us, if he doesn't say, I love you, if he doesn't bless us, why would that God be any different? Or if he left my life, or if he was abusive, you know, verbally or sexually or physically, why would that heavenly father be any different? So when I saw how she was completely restored supernaturally, I began to pray for people. If they had an adverse relationship with their father to forgive that father, and then take the next step and admit that they could trust their Heavenly Father. And that, it's a pathway. It's a journey. But then over the years, I had a number of people say, hey, you need to write this down. You need to write this down." Well, I, I'd written one book. And, you know, writing the book is not easy if you've ever done it. You yeah. know. But what I wanted to do was put it in a succinct form where people could read it, relate to stories. And so I wanted people to understand that the pathway to forgiveness of their earthly father is the pathway to their Heavenly Father. So I wrote this book, put it out there, and, and I really had prisoners in mind because most prisoners, male and female, about over 90% came from foster care, which tells you right away they had no father, no wow. father figure in their life. And so as a result, I really wanted to make it succinct enough for prisons to be able to hand it out so men and women could see it and use it as an opportunity. But the book itself, it just generates a number of stories to help people relate and then come to a place where they can trust their Heavenly Father many times for the first time. You know, look, if you think about living in fear, behind that is the inability to trust God, to trust God with your life, to trust Him with your health, to trust Him with your family, to trust Him with everything. I mean, think about it. If I can trust God, I don't need to be fearful. So why am I living in fear? Why does it say in Romans 5, 5, perfect love casts out fear through the Holy Spirit in our hearts? God wants to flush out the fear. But to do that, we have to trust God. And trusting God's not easy. Right, It's not easy at all. So the book is designed to help people understand that there is a pathway to God, a God who they can trust with every aspect of their being.
0: That is excellent. Well, listeners, for more information about Pastor Paul, you can go to his Instagram and Facebook pages at Paul Teske Ministries Also, you can get his book on this website, thefathersblessing.net, and we will put all these links in our show notes on our website, so you can just click on it and go right to it. You can also get his books on Amazon as well. Well, Pastor Paul, in over 100 episodes, this is the first time I've actually cried. (laughs) So thank you so much, one, for speaking into our lives, but two, thank you so much for coming on here and, and saying yes to us.
1: Thank you, Pastor. Hey, well,
2: listen, it's my privilege, and I'm I'm so delighted that you guys are doing this. And I know God's going to bless it beyond anything you can imagine, as I said earlier. So, I'm going to be praying for you guys. Remember, God tips mountains through prayer, right?
0: Yes. yes. Amen.